Instant differentiation is key to instant recognition in today's cluttered business landscape. Using concepts such as niche marketing, unique selling points, and innovative ideas, many businesses have leveraged on this concept to achieve market penetration and expansion. On this episode, Talk TV engages with a visual artist who has successfully utilized this strategy to differentiate her craft by employing human hair as a sole medium of artistic expression. This innovative approach has earned her accelerated prominence on the global art scene. Welcome, United States-based multiple award-winning visual artist Adebumi Badebo. It's a pleasure to be with you again, and it's still talk with Femi Ipadiola. On this episode, we're hosting a Nigerian, US-based, US-born African, who is an artist doing wonderfully well. Welcome. Thank you. Miss Bumi Adebo. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been it's a real honor to be in Nigeria and to have this interview with you. So oh, thank we're you. We're so delighted to have you as well. Now, how would you describe your art form? Let's take it from there. Okay. Um, I guess I would say I am a multimedia artist. Okay. So I work in installation, painting, sculpture, paper making, print making, um, specifically silk screen, all through one material, human hair. Oh, okay. So you use multiple platforms, pardon me, multiple forms, yeah. but only one material. Yeah. Human hair. Human hair, specifically human hair from Africans of the diaspora. Wow. Why not human hair of people from other race, like the white, Caucasian, Arabs? Um, I kind of arrived, you know, because to make art out of human hair isn't very normal. You don't often come across artists where <laughs> their material is human hair. Um, it's strange to us. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I arrived at the medium... Um, when I was studying art school um, in New York at School of Visual Arts and at this point we are in their second semester of art history okay. so we learn about 500 years of art 500 and years of art maybe I could count on one hand the amount of black people that were represented either as the subject or the person who made the work um and at this point, I was just immensely frustrated with the lack of representation of people who look like me within that art canon. And um, I made a decision that I was going to deviate or reject that history, that Eurocentric history, through material. So it began your interest in using African human hair as the sole material with which you conduct your arts activities uh, began when you studied history of arts yeah and you realized that africa was underrepresented correct so um you strike me as somebody who is deeply rooted in african identity mm. where did you get that from i guess um you know my mom is black american yeah um my dad is nigerian yeah he moved to America for his schooling when he was about 17. Um, but I guess like both sides of that, my mom is very, you, I guess one would say like Afrocentric or pro-black. 
So she always wanted me to understand, you know, you're Nigerian. Um, I also, like, I don't have an English name or a Christian name. I'm just Adebumi. Um, so that was always, she always instilled in me. So they never gave you an English name. You know, she always instilled in me, you know, this is your name. Your grandfather named you. This is what it means. Like, know where you come from. Um, when I was seven, my dad took me to Nigeria for the first time where okay. I got to meet his side of the family, which um, was a great experience to just to know my grandfather, to meet all of his siblings. You met your grandfather when you came around seven years old. Yeah, right before he passed away. So that was an honor to meet him. Um, but I guess on both sides, my parents have always made sure that um, I knew kind of like who, where I came from. So right from the time you were born, your parents instilled that African identity in you. And your mom, even though she is a black American, uh, recognized the African identity and she didn't want you to lose any bit of that. Correct. And that has stayed with you ever since then. Yeah. Up to the heart school, which has made you to come <laughs> into this unique form. So how are people receiving your work? I mean, it must have come across to people as a very strange thing. I mean, we know of sculpture, where you use uh, all these other materials. Mm -hmm. We know of paintings, where you use these various types of materials. Yeah. But human hair. I mean... How do people respond to your work? It depends on like how they're entering it, um, whether they're entering it for me trying to like partner with like for say a barber shop. Okay. So with a material human here, you mm. have to interact with some human that's going to be willing to donate their hair yeah. for the work. So I go to barber shops and I often have to explain kind of the the concepts, the thinking behind the work, you know. Our hair is so much a part of our identity as, you know, here in Nigeria and in parts of Africa on the diaspora, it's a part of our politics even. Mm. Um, it's a part of our history as people and it carries history because it is DNA. Mm. Um, so through this material, I'm able to kind of deal with the social aspects, the political aspects, the historical aspects of who we are as people through a strand of hair. So like when I get to kind of um, unpacking all that, all that's going into the work, usually people are very receptive. And then also, like not only did I see us not being represented in the canon of art history, we're often underrepresented in institutions that exhibit art. You know, we're underrepresented in art in museums, yeah. in galleries, in art fairs. I just read an article that 1% of black women represent all the U.S. museums. So if you look at all the major U.S. museums, 1% um, of the artwork in those collections is from black women. Black people. So, so, you, so you, think you, about like, if I give you hair for art, not only are you represented, but you are the art. 
Yeah. So I'm at the center of the art form. Yeah, like you go into a, a museum and it's you on the wall. Yeah. So um, without my face. <laughs> yeah. But your DNA, your story, your body um, lies in that single strand of air. Yeah. So there's so much data in that mm -hmm. single strand of air. And we're not even conscious of it. We <laughs> throw our hair away every time without realizing that there's so much historical data, mm -hmm. scientific data, biological data, genetic, mm -hmm. and even spiritual yeah. in a strand of air. Uh, it's wonderful that you're, you're pointing this out to us now. And uh, I want to say that when I first heard about your art form, I, I, was, I found it strange. <laughs> okay. And then I explored further. I went to your Instagram page and I saw all the wonderful things that you've been doing and that made me to want to speak with you. And I said, I'm going to look for, I'm going to track this woman down and speak to her. And some of the questions that I've been burning to find out, uh, how do you gather materials, these <laughs> materials? How do you get them together? Um, it started off on social media when I made the decision to work with here. Um, I just put out a call for hair. Really? On Instagram, on Facebook. Really? I'm interested in making art out of hair. Um, are you willing to donate? And that started just circulating. You sent out a message on social media yeah. asking for African human hair. Correct. And what was the response? Um, I got my first donation. And I didn't make my first art piece until a year later. Like, I wanted to be very intentional. I wanted to be um, equipped with a lot of just historical context. So I did a lot of research before I started making art, um, looking up books that kind of dove into the history of black hair, specifically wow. before the, um, the Atlantic slave trade and colonialism, because mm -hmm. I was interested in understanding our relationship to our hair yeah. before those periods in history. Mm. You know, our so spiritual you, you, you connection. So you did a lot of research to have cerebral content. Uh, you already understood the historical value. You understood the spiritual implication. But you now went further to give yourself cerebral content. Yeah. Before you began the actual art form in, in a physical sense. I'm still interested in those who donated their hair <laughs> without knowing you. Uh, where did the first donor come from? What part of America? Um, she lived down the street from me. Whoa. Yeah, Jaquada Cox. Um, she, she's a, she was a friend of a friend. So when I sent out a post on Facebook, she shared it on her Facebook account, and it just so happened that this woman just cut off all of her locks and you know oftentimes like you you mentioned earlier we just discarded yeah, just disposed them so i guess the art became a way for this hair to take on a different life exactly to have purpose again exactly um to be admired to be looked at you know in this artistic kind of arena so she messaged me that she cut off her hair and that was the first piece. And since then, you've been having donation. Okay. Yeah. Where do you keep and them? How do you, how do you store them? <laughs> well, if you went to my studio right now, it would be very hairy. 
There'll be hair hanging from the ceiling. There's imagine. hair in the hallway. There's, I have like a pool of hair now in my um, studio. Um, I also partner with barbershops. Um, so I've been grateful to have really dedicated barbershops. In that New York have, area? Um, in New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah, um, that allow me to... Um, Come and pack the African air. Yeah, so I leave garbage cans in their shop. Mm -hmm. And they fill them up, and I come in and grab the bag. I take them away. Yeah. Coming up. Where did you learn? Did you learn anything about business or branding or bringing innovation into marketing? When you decided to move from painting, sculpting, and drawing to using human hair as your main sole material, was commercial success part of your consideration? Um, I know that you were motivated by the need to push the African identity out there. So it was partially a form of activism on your part. You were angry that Africa is underrepresented in the art world globally and you wanted to push something that is strongly African out there. Were there commercial consideration on your part as well? Um, I always knew I wanted to be an artist that was recognized um, for the work I did okay. recognize recognition in terms of um, exhibitions okay. and museums um, recognition yeah public art pieces like I'm also interested like how does human hair become yeah. a public outdoor art piece you yeah. know something that's not weatherproof um, and yeah I, I wanted commercial kind of recognition so I define that like um, like to be gallery representation. I guess it was always sort of a struggle though, this idea of um, selling human hair or human parts of people's bodies. Yeah. Um, I have to kind of work through because the more I understand that my material has this spiritual kind of essence just loaded within it, that it's a part of someone's body, that it comes with stories, that it comes with this information. Um, it's kind of like an attachment. Mm -hmm. um, so I just um, I just signed to Claire Oliver Gallery in April. Um, she's the gallery is located in Harlem, um, New oh, York. Harlem, New York. Yeah. <laughs> That's another black community, yeah. strongly black. Anyway, with Jews, mm -hmm. it used to be. Yeah, it's it's um, being gentrified. Yeah. Um, so. So it it was a struggle for you um, when you think commercial, because of the significance and the symbolism that you have attached to the form of material you use for your art. Have you succeeded in overcoming that struggle now? Or is it yeah, yeah, I mean, I've sold work through the gallery. Um, I've been blessed to have work be even purchased by 
um, museums and it's only been April um, so you know but then I see that like people when institutions buy the work or when it's in its gallery you know we're taking up space yeah. in a space that did not create a space for us yeah. I said space a lot but, um, so you're achieving your primary objective of putting African identity out there, places where either to Africa was not represented. You are easily finding your artworks getting there now because of the innovation that your form is. It's getting more easily into galleries now. Yeah. And of course, I believe it's fetching you money as well. <laughs> yeah. Because this program is about business first and foremost. And in business, you think branding. And in branding, you think innovation. What is new? This is a new art form. This is an innovative art form. It's an uncommon form of material or form of art. And anything, the world is always searching for the next new thing. I always tell my mentees that. So whatever you're going to do, you've got to find a way to figure out how you can present it in a new form. And uh, if it catches on, if it resonates with people, you're on your way to your millions. So in a way, um, there was some business sense behind, even though when you set out, it was not about mercantilism, it was more about activism rather than mercantilism. But from the business sense, it made a lot of sense to, to go on a different route rather than the painting, sculpture that we're familiar with, oil on canvas and all this, what have you. You decided to go and use other forms, other materials, and that's innovation. Yeah. And in business, that is the center of most businesses that are succeeding in today's world. There are businesses that have been, that are, where creative innovation have been applied. Kudos. Where did you learn? Did you learn anything about business or branding or bringing innovation into marketing while you were developing? Um, I, well, luckily I've been blessed to have a lot of mentors at my side, um, Adrian Wheeler, Cheryl Riley, Courtney Sloan, um, just a lot of like women, Armisi Smith, um, and men that have been able to bias Trevelyan, um, that have been able to kind of guide me. So, like, even when I was approached by the gallery for representation, um, I had a lot of people in my corner, mm. um, including my mom, who's a lawyer, which always helps. Um, Your mom has always been there. Yeah. <laughs> who was able to kind of guide me yeah. on what to do, how to, yeah, how, to, how to deal with the contract. Um, we got that. Your mom is a lawyer. Yeah. What does um, intellectual property mean? Um, you know, what is fair? What is not fair? Um, how to keep the inventory of your work, um, how to deal with um, institution, photographing your work for archives. Yeah. Um, you know, so luckily I had So the, the a business lot of side people. of art, you had a complement of people who mentored you on the business side of art because it's not just about being a creative person, but there are business aspects to it, contractual issues, PR issues, publicity issues, yeah. how to take your pictures, 
how to approach agents, how to approach galleries, museums, and off-takers, as it were, or how to be commissioned by institutions and organizations yeah. to do your art form. All of these things require... <clears throat> All of these things require business principles. And I'm interested in finding out how you were able to acquire some of those because you've demonstrated a sharp knowledge of business principles, marketing principles, branding principles. You've demonstrated it by choosing this art form that you are, you are reputed to uh, be undertaking presently. So I'm still interested in pursuing that line to find out how you acquired those principles which are applying to your creative essence now. Yeah, well, unfortunately, a lot of major art schools, art departments don't find it necessary to teach about the business side of art. Um, you know, you take out all these loans, but they don't want to teach you how to pay them off <laughs> as a business person. Um, you know, one of my mentors... Even in America. Yeah, one of my mentors, Cheryl Riley, she says, an artist is a small business person. You know, we sell our work. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I, I guess I also learned that you don't have to know everything. You could create a team or surround yourself with people that know what you lack. Mm -hmm. So, fortunately, I had those people in my life um so i guess i learned the value of relationships mm. um which has been the thing that's kind of been like my saving grace and that's helped me to navigate this art world especially at a young age mm. um it's been the relationships that i've been like blessed to have um that you know, and those relationships have guided me. It's a it's a good thing that you touched we touched on that because I do know that virtually every art school that I'm familiar with in our climb here, they just teach the technology of art, how mm. to be a good artist. But the business side of things is hardly ever taught. It's not in the curriculum, and um, I'm a little surprised to find out that even in the United States, yeah, it's the same thing. And that's why I was a bit curious when I looked, I explored your work and I saw some business sense, you know, here and there. And your grandfather was a very successful person. <laughs> uh, so I thought perhaps maybe it's the gene that's <laughs> working, you know. <laughs> but now you just gave me some education that you learn the power of relationship. Fortunately for you, while growing up, you had people in your life who already had experience and exposures in all these business areas branding marketing uh, contracting uh, legal practicing and so on and so forth and you recognized also that you needed to stay close to them so that you can learn from them and also bring their competencies into yeah, your activities exactly who taught you that um i don't know i remember like maybe in instinct Maybe instinct. Maybe <laughs> you know, like passed out. I mean, my dad, um, you know, also very successful, like engineer in America. Um, but I don't know. I just remember being in art school one class, and I was like interrogating my teacher, like, "How did you make it? Like, what did you do?" Mm. And he um, was just telling me, uh, you know, 
I assisted this artist, I assisted that artist. This artist was represented by this gallery and one day the gallery asked, do you know any artist? And that's how I got represented so, by this. So you ventured early on while you were learning how to perfect your art sense and skills. You also ventured out of learning the art practice to also find out what are the indices of success? What are the variables that engender success? Yeah, like Fantastic. height. Like if you could heighten. I mean, to be. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could define being a successful artist. There's yeah. muralists. Mm -hmm. There's artists that just. Um, there's portrait artists. Yeah. There's artists that do go the route of like gallery representation. There's a lot of kind of avenues. Yeah. But I was interested in a specific avenue, so I asked. You know, I took. So, I guess so, I so, took so, the opportunity so, of what, art school. What, what will you list as your metric of measurement uh, of success mm -hmm. as Bumi uh, Badebo? what are the indices with which you measure your progress or track your growth mm. that's an interesting you talked about recognition you wanted to be recognized globally as one of the luminaries in the art world you also thought in terms of financial success what are the other things are there other things yeah um and i guess i'm still kind of thinking that through but um my you know because the material is hair yeah. human hair yeah my community people that donate me donate hair to me are essential to the work so when they feel that they've been represented their stories their history um i think that is like kind of Penny, you know, and the fact that as the work gets more recognized, it's also um, reaching wider audiences. Yeah. So now there's people from different states. I have someone collecting here for me right now in Morocco. Really? Um, so when and you've never met the person before. Well, I met him once, and he's Your collecting friends. here for me at barber shops in Morocco. In Morocco, and sending out to America. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so I feel like, you know, the people that donate here, like as yeah. that audience gets, gets greater and when people send me, you know, I often get here that are accompanied by letters, you know, this is here from me and my sister. As we learn from our hair, we learn from each other wow. or I just cut my locks because I got married and I want to have a fresh start here. Here's my hair. Wow. Or I just cut my hair. I've been in the hospital fighting for my life for a year. And I wanted to just cut my hair off. You actually get those notes. Yeah, those letters. Accompanying the hairs that are donated to you. Exactly. Wow. Um, That's quite touching. So I think, you know, of course you want, like, recognition and institutions yeah. and... Um, but really, it's, it's the work that. is the people, you know. So, so it's beyond art. Yeah. What we are doing actually is identity projection, um, 
emotional representation, history, the experiences, the emotion, the confluence of emotions of an individual. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm learning a lot from this session, actually. <laughs> and uh, I want to say that uh, more and more people, and this is a prediction, will begin to break into this form and <laughs> will want to do it. Aren't you concerned or worried that you might have a lot of competitors in another 10 years? Well, I mean, I'm not the first artist. There's the artist David Hammonds. There's the artist Lorna Simpson. They're African Amer human hair. Um, that use, yeah. Um, they well, use African well, human well, hair. Black American hair. Like um, David Hammonds is well known for using hair from Harlem barbershops. But you guys are not many yet. Yeah. And, and, and we all have used the hair differently. Um, and David Hammonds at one point was the the high his work was the highest out of any um you know black american male um so he's i mean he's a huge artist so i'm not the first to use human hair um and I'm sh i know i won't be the last like mm -hmm. sharon norwood i have friends yeah but what we're saying is that there, there could be a burgeoning whereby now you are just a few individuals worldwide um, by the time you become hundreds of artists <laughs> or thousands of artists then it begins to look less and less innovative or new are you concerned that you might get to that stage in another few years at the rate you're going no because um, even if someone collects a hair some hair from this barbershop I mean, no two hairs are the same, you know, so they won't have the hair I have. They, it won't come with the stories that I've received with it. Um, it may not put up the same set of you, you, problems. You have, you have tactically dodged <laughs> that question, but I'll let you be. You're my guest. I'll let you be. Coming up. Business is all about selling. Yeah. Every other thing is ancillary. Did you... And I know that in business, sometimes we do what we call cold calls. Mm -hmm. You identify a prospective customer and then you go knocking on their doors, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Did you have to do that at any point in time? How do you market your work? Um, because you don't light a lamp and put it under the... Uh, cabinets. Well, now I have a gallery <laughs> that does Now you that. have a gallery. Yeah. That's one way of marketing your work. The gallery does a lot of the publicity, showcasing and projection of your of your work essence. Yeah. What other ways do you market? For those who have not been fortunate enough to be signed on by a gallery, how will you mm. advise them? Or what did you do before you got, before you got signed on by a gallery? Yeah, um, Instagram was Instagram and having a really good website were kind of the ways that I show got my work out to large audiences. So um, making sure the work is photographed well, so when you post it on Instagram, um, it really stops so people. Well. You know, we're a scrolling society, mm -hmm. scrolling through Facebook, scrolling through Instagram. Yeah. Um, 
something, you know, being thoughtful in how you write about the work. So the first stage for you is to ensure that the work is properly photographed. Photographed, So that when presented. you push it online, uh, it has an arresting value yeah. for the audiences. Fantastic. Also getting to know your art community. Um, oh. In Newark, um, we have a very tight-knit art community. So curators look out for artists. Artists look out for curators. Um, every October, the entire city has a citywide art show. Wow. Um, so just exhibiting a lot um, because so, so participate in a lot of exhibition art because shows. the artists knew the artists, the curators knew the artists. Um, you know that really what about helped. Art collectors, how do you bridge <laughs> the gap between mm. the artist and the art community on one hand, the art collectors on the other? I know that you can you you can bridge the gap with museums, mm. art galleries, curators. What other ways? social media like Instagram, what other ways can you, uh, what other media do you employ to bridge that gap between the art world and the art collectors? Yeah, um, I didn't really sell a lot of my work before being signed. Okay. Um, I like kind of got on the radar of some collectors, but it never turned into a sale. Okay. Um, and that was through just posting on social media and you just never know who shares what. Um, it, it, because business is all about selling. Yeah. Every other thing is ancillary. Did you, and I know that in business, sometimes we do what we call cold calls. Mm. You identify a prospective customer and then you go knocking on their doors, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Did you have to do that at any point in time? No. Um, for me, like before the gallery, it was just a lot of this show led to that show, led to that show, led to that show. And although it wasn't turning into like, you know, monetary money, um, it was exposure. Mm -hmm. So I, that was equally as valuable in a way True. because it was getting me um, my work seen by greater audiences, mm -hmm. bigger platforms. Mm -hmm. um, which really helped even and it, it was the last soul show i had where the gallery i'm currently represented saw my work yeah. so you just never know who will come to these shows so that's why i say the importance of knowing getting to know your art community yeah. um making sure you guys are like a collective and have a voice and have a certain power i've been grateful um the artist Ire Wale um, here in Nigeria. Ire Wale. Yeah. <laughs> he um, took me around kind of the art scene here in Ibadan and even expressed how some local artists give their work to bigger artists um, just to get the attention of collectors. Um, so that. I can testify to that. Yeah. So. Um, I think there is strength in artists supporting artists. Okay. So, Before so you, the collector so comes. So you preach the power of synergy mm. and networking. Mm. Yeah, uh, networking. As a, as a, don't run it. Don't run the show alone. Um, if you network, if you synergize, if you embed yourself within a colony or a community of artists and art practitioners, uh, you will have done. A major part of your marketing that's what I can deduce from what you're saying now yeah fantastic now let me also ask you um, we heard things about creative muse 
I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah. And artists have different ways by which you get they get their inspiration. What is yours? Um, I don't know if this is too simplistic, but just the medium alone is. The hair. Yeah, like I open up a garbage bag from the barber shop, and I'm like, purple hair, you know, orange hair. Well, I never got this texture before, wow. or you know, like I said, nobody's hair. My hair is different from your hair is different from the next. Mm. So every time I get hair, it's like getting a paint color that never existed before. So your adrenaline begins to rush when you <laughs> see fresh hair. Something begins to bubble in you. Oh, I can do a lot with this texture. Oh, this. This strand of hair, I can do, and that's how you get your own inspiration. Yeah. You don't do some stuff like some artists would like to go to the riverside, go mm. to the brook, go to the woods, or wake up when the moon is bright, or uh, in the middle of the night, or they want to hear the sound of rushing river <laughs> or ocean. Waves. And maybe sometimes the inspiration won't come, but. I feel like as as an artist, you can't always wait for inspiration. You can't always wait for inspiration. If you wait, sometimes the work won't happen. Sometimes you just have to be with the work. You just have to do the work. You have to be present to it. You have to be in the studio. Mm. And like, like, like having a conversation with yeah. it. And the work will kind of come together through that. Um, so sometimes I'm not inspired, um, but I have to be in the studio and make the work. I also feel a sort of responsibility. You know, someone has mailed this to me. Yeah. And they're expecting something to be made out of it. Out of it. So maybe it's not inspiration, it's just the responsibility Feeling to a that sense person. Of responsibility. That has to push me to get the work done. The next thing that's related to that I want to find out is how do you feed your imagination? Because your creativity <laughs> uh, emanates from your imagination. And your imagination is a product of what has been fed into it. Mm. How do you feed your imagination? A lot of reading, a lot of research. Um, right now I'm researching on the three kind of plantations or the the free the three spaces where my family lived when they came when they were brought on to America on my mom's side so the three plantations one was an indigo plantation one was a cotton plantation one was a rice plantation and it's interesting because even when you look at the um, geography of those areas and what they were forced to cultivate, it's very similar. You could connect it directly to geographies in Africa. Really? So Sierra Leone, they cultivate rice there. It has a very similar geography to the one of South Carolina. So I took a DNA test. I'm Sierra Leonean. Oh, so, you traced your genetic uh, yeah. history. Yeah, so right now I'm doing a lot of research on those three spaces specifically. So um, in my recent work, I've incorporated blue, indigo. I've incorporated cotton into the work. Um, kind of using 
material as a way to kind of talk about land, history, um, slavery. slavery. Um, Those were the dominant historical images uh, that predominated your ancestors, as it were. Yeah. Uh, especially in the last 250 years or thereabouts. Yeah, so um, a lot of research. What about observation? Observation? Isn't that another way by which you feed your imagination? I'm observing the work. Observing, <laughs> observing things that they happen around you. You've been in Nigeria now for about three weeks mm -hmm. and uh, you've traveled around a bit observing things and seeing things uh, isn't that a deliberate effort on your part to fortify your imagination with your African identity yeah like um, I took this trip you know to Nigeria like I the last time I was in Nigeria was in 1999 that's 20 years ago <laughs> yeah I hope we're not going to wait for 20 years <laughs> no, again before no. you come back so um, yeah. but I definitely wanted to you know, other than meeting family and just, I mean, it was overdue that I came, that I come here. Yeah. But, um. So apart from meeting family, you also traveled around to visit some art scenes. Yeah. I learned that you went to Oshobo, Ife, Lagos. Uh, did you, w w which galleries did you visit that struck you? the most out of all the art centers, museums that you have visited since you came? Well, I went to Nikkei Gallery. Wow. Yeah. Nikkei Okundai. Yes. Fantastic woman. Yeah, and I had the honor of speaking with her. Um, and it was, you know, it's a beautiful gallery, four stories. Yeah. Um, it was also interesting, though. It's a lot of painting, but I guess, you know, it's her gallery. Um, so she, her kind of program focuses on painting. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a lot of galleries, or a few galleries here in Ibadan. And I bet Okundai, uh, Mrs. Nicker would also probably be looking for a way of doing some stuff with you. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Coming up. What are the ethos that guards that underpins your life, your existence? What are the ethos? What do you see your projection going forward? Uh, do you see yourself changing the materials you use now? <laughs> um, well, one of my favorite uh, artist. He's actually um, from Ghana, Elanatsui. Okay. And um, he teaches in Nigeria. And he told his students, when I saw an interview where he told his students, when you find the material, listen to everything it has to say. And when it's done speaking, you can move on. Okay. So for me, Hair still has so much to say. Um, so I don't know when the day will come where we'll stop speaking, where I have kind of exhausted all the possibilities. Um, but I know that's not soon. That's not soon. Yeah. 
Okay, I like the way you put it. You were philosophical, scientific as usual, <laughs> but again, you were explicit. So the form you use now is still speaking to you as an artist, and until you exhaust the communication that's coming <laughs> from it, you're not likely to change your form. Now let, let's 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 explore you as a person um, a little bit because. Uh, I've been told that you cannot separate the work of an artist from the essence of the artist himself or herself. What are the ethos that guards, that underpins your life, your existence? What are the ethos? Mm. Maybe uh, family. Family. You are deeply family-oriented? Um, yeah, I guess, um, like even now in my work, I've been exploring family mm. um, a lot. Um, and just, you know, being a black American, there was a disconnect from just my understanding of who I was as a Nigerian. Okay. And also being a black American, there's kind of a limit to your understanding of your history as a black American. Mm. You know, a lot of that, a lot of black Americans could only trace family lines to a certain point. True. Because at, you because could, there was no documentation along the line. Yeah, we were, we were property, you know, we legally less than human, you yeah. know. So, um, even less than animals mm. back then, yeah, the way so, we were treated. Granted, because, not every black person was enslaved, and you know, but um, but those who were taken to the Caribbeans and the Americas, they were forcefully taken, and uh, the animals, the pets of the their, their, their slave masters, had more value than mm. the blacks. Africans that were taken, I mean, historically speaking, yeah. that's what we learned from history. So, you have a deeply family-oriented uh, personal ethos, and you think that also underpins the work that you do. And I bet when you came to Nigeria and you discovered one, one of your uncles <laughs> is a barber and does what you do now by creating art forms on people's <laughs> hair, you were excited. Oh, my jeans. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, I was like... This is perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> so Uncle Timo is not perfect. He doesn't work with no, him. No, 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 he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is in his own right. But come to think of it, Uncle Timo is a very fantastic drummer. Mm -hmm. You know, gongo -gong drum is his specialty. Yeah. And you know the gongo -gong drum is made of animal skin hide, mm. which is also hair based, as it were. So there's a genetic <laughs> construction going around there. Uh, where you find some of your uncles, your blood relatives, who are already doing things that have to do with hair, I don't know, human hair, animal hair. And yeah, and even just fun, you know, that my uncle Timothy is a musician, you know, in that kind of creative sphere yeah. um, is really exciting. Like I said, a lot of my family on my mom's side kind of took that engineering, yeah lawyer medical field um and they all have artistic ability they just didn't pursue they didn't develop it. it yeah so um you know in, the, in their own days 
uh, to rise in the society, you needed to go into these traditional professions, accountancy, law, medicine, engineering. If you weren't doing that, you probably would starve to death mm. back in the day, in their own time. Yeah. But we, we, it's a great thing that now the world has evolved to begin to recognize and compensate and reward creatives properly. And that's mm. why um, we're having you on this program. That's one of the reasons why we're having you on this program, to encourage people out there to um, diversify from the traditional professions. Mm. They're already saturated anyway. Yeah. So if you find yourself having proclivity for creativity, uh, it's better you pursue it and develop it, especially if you notice it in a young one. Mm. Uh, now it's flourishing. You've bagged a number of awards and recognitions. Can you share some of them with us to encourage parents out there who might want to encourage their kids to also pursue uh, a development in their creative essence? Um, well, going to art school, I got a lot of scholarship. Um, and I have to admit, like when I initially applied, I didn't get all the scholarship that I received, but I asked for more money. Um, you know, so don't be afraid to ask for more. I knew I wanted to go to this school and I didn't stop unless. <laughs> You know, I got in or I got there. Um, and, you know, to. So you weren't discouraged by the first no's that you get. Yeah, and some of the first no, you know, my dad wasn't always on board. He'll, if you ask him, he say he'll, he'll probably be like, I was always on board. <laughs> um, but, you know, you want to make sure your child is successful. And mm -hmm. I know, like, just from talking with a lot of, especially younger kids, some of their first no's and discouragements is from their mom wow. and their dad. Wow. Um, because parents are just concerned, you know, um, that they want you to, to be the best, to make a living, um, to not struggle. Yeah. Um, but you have to know, like, your purpose um what drives you um sometimes when you pursue a career of passion the money the success the accolades will come um and you may not have support in the beginning um i don't know i guess i'm just grateful that i kind of had that like drive that i was gonna it comes naturally to you and i had a mom my mom who like supported me from the beginning mm -hmm. so it wasn't unusual for me to want to pursue a career in art it would it would probably be unusual for me not to so you would advise people to be self-driven and that every other thing will fall in line and if you don't have the support of your parents create your community of support create. maybe it's a mentor maybe it's a teacher maybe it's a friend but um you know, if, if I felt like I didn't have the support, I seeked it. Or, you know, I assisted a lot of artists. Bisa Butler is another, um, like, kind of mentor. And she's also represented at the same gallery. Wow. Um, so, like, attracting what you need. So do not wait. Create your own community of support. Yeah. Be self-driven. Have your passion. And then do what you've got to do. Don't worry if the money is not coming in yet. 
but do what you've got to do just make sure you deliver positive brilliant outcomes and the money will come in yeah that's quite inspiring and motivating i must say quite inspiring and motivating i still want to explore your background a little bit more before we close um you have a nigerian father and an african-american mother and you have this very strong africanist afrocentric identity i want to explore how you cut the bug how you cut that bug and how you flourished it over time and nurtured it over time what are the things that happened to you and what did you have to do to nourish it and nurture it um well it was a process you know i have a yoruba name so growing up in america it wasn't always cool tell me your full name <laughs> uh i laugh because i have my american accent um but i understand Ade Bumi. Ade Bumi. Ade Nike. Ade Nike. Badebo. Badebo. Did I do? Did I do good? Oh, you did very well. You did very well. I'm not patronizing, <laughs> but I mean, I'll score you 80 percent as a teacher, and that's that's a, a very brilliant mark. And you know the meaning of those names. Yeah. How did you know the meaning of those names? Um. Well, like I was saying, it wasn't always cool to be African growing up in America. Um, With an African name. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it was weird. It was like, you know, that was my first intro to people. And I'm like, I, you know, I barely even knew about my Nigerian side. So I had to like take on this identity that I wasn't, e didn't even mm. fully know yet. Um, but my, I would go home sometimes crying, wow. sometimes, you know, really upset because of this difference. And, and my, the way people re reacted to you. And my mom would say, do you know what your name means? Do you know how you got your name? Do you know who named you? Ask that child what their name means. You know, how were they named? You'd be proud of it. But it, it, it took So she, she, she early on encouraged you to recognize the value in those names that you, put, you carried. Yeah. Uh, by telling you the meaning and the weight and the value of the names and situating it within the European context by telling you, oh, the, the names that other children have does not have meaning. Yours have, is loaded with meaning and for that reason you should appreciate it. Yeah. And she was doing that for you even at that very early age. Yeah. Oh, that's a great woman. That's a great woman. <laughs> Honestly, that's a great woman. Before I let you go, what's your projection into the future? Because we'd like to do that on the show. Mm. 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, what are we going to be seeing from Ade Booms? <laughs> um, hopefully more international shows, um, connecting. You know, I came to Nigeria, everyone was saying you'll never get here from Nigeria. And now I'm getting here from two countries in Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of just opened my eyes to like, there's 52 more, you know, um, so for the work to really tomorrow. represent all of us. Um, so hopefully like this, this platform and other platforms I'll be involved in will just 
garner wider audience, more people who wish for their hair, their hair to be art, their hair to be a part of this story of what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so just growth on both of those. So ways. for you, is about spreading the tentacles, the message of your art form around the globe. Your primary target is the African continent. <laughs> you said you've taken two out now. 52 more to go. The continent, the diaspora. The, on the African continent, uh, out of the 54 countries, you've been in two now. There are 52 more countries <laughs> yeah. to go. And uh, in another 5-10 years, we will see you to have covered even much more, if not all of them. Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic aspiration and we can only wish you well in that endeavor. Miss Adebomi Badebo. Thank you. A US born, US based African, Nigerian yeah. to be to be specific artist using the human hair, African human hair form uh, in your heart's work. We want to appreciate you for coming on the show today. Thank you. And we wish you the very best in this endeavor. It's a very noble endeavor. Thank you, sir. And we've been speaking with Ms. Adebumi Badebo, who is an artist with a difference, using the human hair as an art form. And that's another innovation on the world global art scene. She's been sharing with us tips and ideas in the art world, particularly the commercial art world. We've learned a number of other philosophical things, but more importantly, we've discovered another innovation in the art scene. We want to appreciate her for coming on the program. Until we come your way next time, bye-bye. How much does it cost to set up a basic fertility Absolute center? Practice. How much are we looking at? You're using the right words, basic fertility center. Basic. A basic fertility to center. take off and safely take off. Basic fertility center, um, about $100,000. Okay. Yes. Whatever you want to quantify that about in your local currency. Okay, fine. So we have what we call an advanced fertility center, okay. which will be about um, $30,000 more than that. So about... $130,000 for advanced facility. But yes. a very standard elite facility center. That will be $130, $30,000. $30,000. Yes. That will be enough for you to take off. Oh, yes. Bearing recurrent expenditures. Yes. Okay. Now